Hi, I'm your host, Nicole Kane, and you're listening to the Home in Place podcast, where I translate theory to practice and create cross-discipline conversations about aging and the importance of place. I am so glad you're here. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Susan Rodek, Associate Professor in the Department of Architecture at Texas A&M University and Faculty Fellow at the Center for Health Facilities and Design. She has many notable achievements, including national and international awards for her research-based education programs and research papers. Today, I'm going to be talking with Dr. Rodick about the award-winning collaborative educational series titled Access to Nature, Planning Outdoor Spaces for Aging. As you might have noticed, all of the episodes on Home in Place podcast are between 24 and 25 minutes long. This is no coincidence. I've packaged each episode into a neat little bundle so that radio stations can broadcast the information to their listeners. My interview with Dr. Rodick is longer than others, so I've decided to break it into two parts. You're currently listening to part one, where we'll talk about Dr. Rodick's professional journey, hear about her research and how essential it is for humans to have access to nature, and learn about a video education tool she created called Access to Nature, Planning Outdoor Spaces for Aging. In part two, we'll wrap up the interview, and I'll have a bit of fun on my own expanding on an easy-to-use assessment tool that was mentioned in our discussion, the SOS, or the Seniors Outdoor Survey Tool. So stay tuned. Now, on to the interview. Dr. Rodek, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really, I really appreciate your time. So today we're going to be talking about access to nature for older adults. And I was wanted to start with your origin story. How did you become interested in access to nature for older adults? Well, I have been interested in how older people lived for many, many years since I was in about my 20s. And I always wanted to help uh, design a more idyllic lifestyle for people as they grew older. And then many years later, I found myself uh, focusing on it uh, with my master's degree and doctoral degree. Um, and when I got into the field and started studying it more seriously, I spent a lot of time visiting long-term care settings. And the thing I noticed was missing was access to nature. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much my, my origin. I've always loved... Um, nature and the outdoors since I was a small child, and I, I've gotten the sense that most people really have a strong affiliation for nature, just through, you know, life experience, so. Recently, you sent me um, three DVDs that you worked on it, for, for years, it seems like this, um, they're called Access to Nature, and it's part, it's a three DVD set. And something that was a big takeaway for me with this information was about the health benefits from even modest time outdoors. And you reduce blood pressure, increase, increase sleep patterns, balancing the hormones, increasing mood. Um, a decrease in reported pain and an observed decrease in the amount of pain medications given, increased levels of social interaction. And it just, um, that was what was surprising to me was that even with modest exposure to time outdoors for older adults, it can have all of these benefits. And also it's akin to exercise for older adults. And I didn't realize that either. Um, um, that's, that's a good point, Nicole. It's, um, people have been doing research on the health benefits of nature for uh, the last, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. There's been more and more actual empirical research on nature, but initially not as many studies were focused on older people. 
So even though we might assume that they might have uh, similar health benefits to younger people um, in the many, many studies, you know, the benefits that have been found, you can't really assume that different age groups or different genders are going to have the same kind of benefit unless you do some research on it. And when I first started um, my own research um, during my, well, I did a fair amount of uh, sort of social-based research, uh, focus groups, surveys, interviews during my master's thesis research. When I started my doctoral study, I wanted, I wanted to see if there was enough research on older people getting um, actual health benefits. So there wasn't much at that time that I was able to find. So I focused uh, my first study on cortisol, having older people be in a, uh, an outdoor environment compared with an indoor environment, and made um, I, we were able to control almost everything about the study in terms of you know, what the research assistants wore. We followed a set script mm. uh, at the exact time simultaneously. The people were uh, randomly selected from a, a certain group. And we found um, much improved after the approximately one hour in an outdoor setting, we found better uh, cortisol levels, lower cortisol levels. And we also found um, some really strong psychological findings in anxiety, reduced anxiety, increased positive mood, reduced negative mood using standardized instruments. So anyway, my very small study um, did kind of confirm what was being found with people of other age groups. And at the same time, more people around the world I became aware of were, were doing similar research. So from that point on, I focused more on, okay, I think we're starting to, to realize that this is true, that very strong benefits can accrue to older people from being outdoors. And the, uh, the question then was, how can we make the outdoor space something they can really benefit from? So at that point, I, I, that was my dipping my toe into the research field of biological markers and realizing that as, a re as an architect, I'm a registered architect, um, it was, there was more I could do in terms of modifying the physical environment, and that's the story that leads to Access to Nature, the DVD series. Um, we, we got funding to do a pretty large study uh, in different regions of the U.S. We, went, we were in Texas, um, Chicago, and Seattle areas, which have very, very different climates and different cultures. And we did, uh, we randomly selected assisted living facilities and did a um, pretty large number of uh, written survey questionnaires with the residents and staff at those facilities. I think we had uh, 1,000 or 1,100 residents and about 450 staff members. So it was a good-sized study. And then we also, at the same time, we used um, an instrument we were starting to develop then, the SOS tool, to assess the environmental qualities at the facilities. And I think our initial idea was to compare um, people's satisfaction with the outdoors with what we rated in terms of different environmental qualities. Um, we looked at health. We had about a 50-item questionnaire. And 
we had some really strong findings in terms of some pieces of the physical environment were preferred by people, and they also correlated with their levels of outdoor usage when you control for age and gender. So that basically is the research that we did that led up to the um, design recommendations in Access to Nature. Can, does that absolutely your question? It does, absolutely. Can you talk about some of the barriers to getting people outside and accessing nature? Well, certainly um, climate is a huge barrier. You can't do too much about climate, but you can do a little bit about climate. Um, there's a whole um, uh, sort of a segment, I think it's a small chapter on the uh, third DVD that talks about climate control. So if you have a climate that's very cold, you can have uh, make sure that you put the outdoor spaces away from the prevailing wind, make sure you face them where they get winter sun, but not hot summer afternoon sun. Uh, you can have local infrared heaters that are like small glowing fireplaces or the overhead heaters so people can go outside and feel comfortable. You can do something similar in a hot climate with uh, either fans or evaporative coolers that, you know, give it mist and evaporation and make the air cooler. So every aspect of the environment can be somewhat modified. So climate is a, is a big barrier. Another barrier that, that I've heard about a lot from people in, in the field who are environmental gerontologists is staff. It all, you know, I've had so many people say to me after a presentation at a conference, Susan, it all comes down to staffing. If the staff don't want the people to go outside, they won't go outside. And staff might be concerned about people going outside because they're afraid they'll go outside and fall. Mm -hmm. And then the staff, you know, there will be an inquiry. Who allowed Mrs. Smith to go outside? Well, I said it was okay. So it's your fault she fell. So there's this feeling that inside the building there's a higher level of control. And we're talking, you know, nursing home, assisted living, et cetera. Um, There's more control inside. There's not a a big batch of leaves that fell off the tree an hour ago and nobody knows about, and then she trips on them. So there was this, there's, there tends to be a feeling, uh, very understandable, of protectiveness among staff, that we, we can't control the outdoor environment and we don't feel safe uh, with them going out. Um, this has kind of come into question with person-centered care, Recently, in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, uh, culture change suggesting that we need to look at what's best for the person holistically and not just say, no, our only job is to keep them warm and safe and well-fed. There are other aspects to life besides safety. And if their quality of life depends on them or could be improved by them having uh, moments outdoors, and great experiences watching a squirrel up close or, you know, being, uh, being in a different environment, even the fact that they take more risk is, can be stimulating to a person's self-esteem and sense of control. So I think that, that work like the Pioneer Network has been doing, the important work in culture change, uh, work, uh, the work of uh, William Thomas, 
Dr. William Thomas, MD, the work of John Zeisel, those people are all saying life is more about more than just safety. We can't just protect older people and expect them to still have a good quality of life. We have to give them stimulation and treat them as equals with rights, with human rights. So probably those are the two biggest barriers. I, um, yes, I couldn't agree more, too. As an occupational therapist who's worked in nursing homes for years and years, I've I've seen that. And, and it is a real fear for the staff that we don't want people to fall. And not only is it, you know, whose fault is it going to be, but it's um, the, the quality. We know that as soon as someone falls, they're at a higher risk of falling again. And we know that as they age, they're, the risk of um, greater injury increases as people get older and they fall. So it's 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 a real um, concern in nursing homes. One thing that I learned recently from your work and that I had never really thought of before is this idea of an entryway garden for um, institutions, for nursing homes or assisted living facilities. And I thought it was a, this just really beautiful way to perhaps try to alleviate some of that that tension between wanting to keep the residents safe and not falling, but also giving them autonomy and access to nature. Could you talk a little bit about this concept of an entry garden and what that is? Um, entry garden is, is kind of a design concept that actually was suggested to me by one of my students who was actually career change. I think he came from a, a career in music and he was wanting to be an architect, and in the first semester um, uh, he studied with me, he, we were doing a, a senior community center, and he designed a garden right next to the main entrance. And it was suddenly almost one of those aha moments, a light bulb went off in my head, and I realized that his, his, uh, his intuition was very spot on in terms of understanding what motivates older people. Uh, there's a design, you know, people who live in a long-term care setting don't want to be cut off from the world. They, they don't want to suddenly become exiles or prisoners away from the, the overall larger world out there. But it, when they just sit in the lobby, sometimes it's not satisfying. Um, they want to as anybody knows who's visited the nursing home, you find often find residents crowded around the lobby, crowded around the entry. They want to see people coming and going and the daily activities of the world. And just watching somebody get out of a car and, uh, you know, balance a couple packages in their hands and try to get the door, it's, it's human life that they're witnessing, which is something fresh and new that they're not necessarily experiencing in the more... Uh, uh, a little bit more passive existence they lead inside a senior community. And so putting the entry garden outdoors is a way of solving two or three problems at once. Uh, if they can go out from the, the community, from their, their facility, their quarters, into a garden that's beautiful and overlooks the main entrance, they can satisfy that desire to watch people coming and going. They can be the transition or interface between where their, you know, the entry garden is and the front walkway can be whatever you want it to be, depending on the climate, the culture, the level of uh, resident who's living there. And it can be anything from a picket fence to kind of beautiful trellises. So people can sit there and watch people coming and going. They're in a very safe place. They can interact 
they can go out and actually talk with someone themselves and walk in with that person if they're sitting waiting for them. It's um, It gives them a chance to be outdoors and yet completely safe and protected. And best of all, they're not isolated in the back of the building. Mm -hmm. This is one of the big problems I've seen so many times. It, it seems to be in, the, in our desire to protect older people, we think we want them to be um, more isolated and, and uh, protected. Um, fabulous story I read, and I think it might have been John Zeisel, uh, something he had written years ago. It might have been Victor Rainier. Anyway, they told a story about designing a, uh, an architect designed a, a nursing home, and he, it was in a major urban area with, on a busy street. I don't know if it was a nursing home or assisted living. It was, you know, a residential place for aging. And he said, okay, in the backyard, we're going to have a pond and some trees, and we'll have a wonderful sitting area that will be peaceful and quiet away from this busy, bustling, dangerous street. And the residents can sit there and watch the birds and watch the squirrels and look at flowers and grass. It'll be wonderful. So after the place was finished, he went back and looked at it. And every day when the sun was in the right place, the residents would drag the chairs beside the building and bring them out to the front so they could sit next to the sidewalk <laughs> and watch people go by and watch the cars go by and watch people enter the building. So the irony of trying to protect people, I think that the, the real story is that they need both. Yeah. We can't just give them a busy place, but we can't just sort of the way one resident in a focus group here in, in town, uh, he, he wasn't a resident, he was a community citizen, person living who came to a senior citizen center meeting. But he said, we don't want to be isolated to the back 40, you know, we don't want to be put out to pasture. Right. You know, we want to be part of life. Right. So that, that's kind of how it works. Uh, that the the DVDs give a pretty clear image. I think there's some diagrams that show how it works and show the relationship between arrival, people coming and going out the front door, and, and how to design it. And I think, I don't know if you got to that part in the, in the videos, but we actually show a buildup of four different ones being created, or three different ones being created in different kinds of setting, depending on how much space you have. You know, to build them. Absolutely. So. I, I loved it. It was just so easy to understand and really gave this very clear visual of what it might look like. And um, people can access it. It's through accesstonature.org and you can go there to um, to be able to purchase the DVDs. But the, the other thing that I think was an important component to it that I had never thought of before was this transition zone to getting people outside. And I loved this idea, and I thought that this idea of a transition zone, so if you could talk about that a little bit, but also how this might be able to translate into a home environment rather than a nursing home or skilled facility. Like a, like a private private residential environment. Private, right, right. Um, and so, so first, Let's talk just a little bit about what a transition zone is and why this is useful. Well, a transition zone basically says you don't have an abrupt change at the door where you're completely outdoors, you know, maybe not even a roof or overhang or porch or shelter, and then you open the door and you're suddenly indoors in the middle of the living room. Uh, the idea is that if you go through zones, 
you can create a series of layers as you enter a building, both on the outside of the of the wall and on the inside of the wall, to to create um, places that are not really fully outdoors, but they're not really indoors yet. Um, there's been some research on this, which is uh, cited in the book uh, Pattern Language by Christopher Alexander. Uh, I think it's just maybe called transition zone or entry transition. And it talks about how uh, someone, at a, someone did a research project at a, uh, kind of a, a fair where you, there are booths, you know, you know how you go through a craft fair or farmer's market. And so many of the booths you're supposed to, expected to walk in so you can get a better look at the things they're showing, whether they're books or candles or produce or whatever. And they noticed that um, one of the booths was getting a lot more attention than the other ones. And they realized that they were, actually it might have been a conference, it was indoor setting, because there was carpeting involved. And they had a bright orange carpet at the entrance to this booth. And the other booth, people would wander in and turn and wander back out. And this booth, people tended to stay two or three times as long. And somehow they they were able to determine that the bright orange carpet, or maybe it's just a theory, that the bright orange carpet created a transition so that people, when they crossed over that threshold, they felt like they were inside. But that's, that's almost what you want to do in design, whether it's a private residence or a you know congregate residential home, is to make the entrance not startlingly different, but um, uh, in deceptively the same, where even before you come to your front door, you have an area that starts to feel much more civilized and paved and furnished and maybe has some enclosure with trellises or plants. Um, and you get closer and you, your porch isn't just, you know, a whole, you know, it isn't just a, a wall with a with your door as a whole and a roof over your head, but you actually furnish it like a porch so that you feel you're, you're already in an outdoor room before you even go into the house. Thank you for listening to Home and Place Podcast. You can find links to the items we discussed on the website, homeandplacepodcast.com. If you're interested in watching the DVD educational video series, Access to Nature, Planning Outdoor Spaces for Aging, head over to the website, accesstonature.org, and use the discount code HOMEANDPLACE. I'm pretty excited to have a discount code name for the show. Don't forget to tune in next week when we hear the rest of my interview with Dr. Rodek, and then I have a bit of fun of my on my own, expanding on an easy-to-use assessment tool that was mentioned in our discussion, the SOS, or the Seniors Outdoor Survey Tool. So stay tuned for part two with Dr. Rodek. Subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode. While you're there, please rate and review the show. This really does help more people find the podcast. If you have show ideas, I would love to hear them. Reach out on my website or social media. I'm on Facebook and Instagram at Home and Place. I'm your host, Nicole Kane. I'm the owner of Home and Place Project, Rethinking the Built Environment. With a background in occupational therapy, environmental gerontology, and training as a certified aging in place specialist, I help homeowners, researchers, and businesses go beyond ADA to create beautiful and inclusive environments. My work is based in solid research and guided by a deep appreciation for the power of place and importance of personal choice. 
To connect, collaborate, or just find out more about me and my work, visit my website, homeandplaceproject.com. Special thanks to the Audio Information Network of Colorado for broadcasting this episode to their radio listeners. Learn more about them at aincolorado.org. And finally, thank you to Delia Potts of Northfield, Minnesota for composing and performing this original music. Take us home, Delia. (laughs) 